the interesting thing is as you start to work and uh, go through this process you realize this is not about the food at all it's really about your sense of being and your sense you know your inner resilience and as you start to release and relax and let go everything else falls into place your relationship with food will naturally start to change for the better welcome to the needlefish podcast i'm jim firth and i'm john harland Each episode, we will do our best to bring practical wisdom and advice from experts in various fields. So we hope you enjoy our show. And if you do, please like, subscribe and share with your friends. Today's podcast guest is Chelvi Melvarganen. Chelvi is the founder of A Full Life Wellness with Chelvi. Chelvi established a full life to share methods and techniques she discovered through her own healing journey to help others find food freedom, break free from the binge diet cycle, and find sustainable weight loss. She studied and trained with the world's leading experts on the psychology of eating and transformative coaching, and is currently training with internationally renowned performance coach Brendan Burchard. Her website, www.full-life.co.uk, has all the information on upcoming live events, public talks, as well as one-to-one coaching and group courses. Chelvi, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, fantastic. Great to meet you at last. Yeah, great to see you. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely brilliant, because uh, we've only ever spoken on Zoom before, and so it's lovely to meet you in person. Yeah, it's great to be actually around real people, I know, <laughs> not it's, behind the screen. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You've come all the way from Kent to see us today. Yeah, Thank thanks you. very much, Charlie. It's, it's a yeah. pleasure. Oh, it's good, pleasure. it's good. Have you got everything you require? Are you comfortable? Yes. Excellent. Okay, so um, shall I start by asking you, yes. shall we? Tell us, what was the driving force behind founding A Full Life? Um, the driving force was really my own journey, as Jim sort of mentioned in the intro, my own journey of um, discovering that after about 20 years of yo-yo dieting, I've been looking for answers in the wrong place, basically on diets and detoxes yeah. and essentially looking to find answers outside of myself, thinking that there wasn't something that I hadn't figured out, like I haven't got it together I haven't found the right method or the right meth- uh, right diet and so on. But eventually, because of circumstances coming together in my life, when I had to dig a bit deeper, I had to dig a bit deeper, I had to kind of stop my obsession with weight loss and start to look at why am I eating the way I am and ask these slightly deeper questions, which I hadn't really considered before because I was so invested in diets. And why do you think you were so invested in diets, Charlie? I, I think we are, I feel like we're in, we in a culture which is, in, we're sort of indoctrinated as a culture mm. and we, the dieting culture is very, very powerful. Yeah. And, and if you haven't got another paradigm, another different way of thinking about it, a different way of understanding your relationship with food, you go with the paradigm that's presented to you. Mm. So I bought into it. Okay. I bought into it. I think it's also, you know, we live in a culture with, you know, it's lots of fat shaming and your self-worth is measured in terms of how much you weigh. Mm. So all of those things promote a, a very superficial way of understanding yourself and also it promotes superficial solutions. Mm. So calories in, calories out, for example. So you you came to the conclusion that diets didn't work. What, what was the thing that made that happen for you? 
I think for me, um, I was forced to come to that conclusion. Um, it, it's not a conscious thing that I sort of decided for myself. I had um, a health scare. So that jolted me out of the weight loss obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like I was almost like backed into a corner. Yeah. And I had to think differently. Uh, I had to think beyond just weight loss and look at, you know, you know, if I've been doing something for 20 years and if it hasn't worked, I need to think differently. Yeah. Um, and that is was the start of my journey of delving a bit deeper and looking at why do I eat the way I do? You did, know. When you started your journey and you say you did, obviously were doing research, was there anybody else in your research, you found in your research or from your research that was doing the same? Are you the only one actually exploring those possibilities? In my social circle, I was the only person. Yeah. I was the only person. So I don't remember. Now I, I have met lots of people. Right. Right. Because I'm now in the arena of mindful eating and so yeah, on. Yeah. But when I first started it off, it was just me. I started off by being re- very interested in looking, uh, interested in nutrition. So yeah. after um, stopped obsessing about diets, I went into looking to, I started looking into nutrition and then I realised that actually it doesn't really matter how amazing um, nutritional information is, I'm not going to be able to follow it because I'm also, I'm still approaching it with a dieting mindset. Mm. Right, okay. And then that led me into looking at the psychology of eating, which then led me into looking at my emotions. Interesting. Can, can we just sort of dig into diets a little bit then and dieting because clearly there's, you know, whole industry yeah. That, that makes an awful lot of money from it's essentially people's lack of self-worth as it were mm-hmm. because you know you you think well i'm put a bit of weight on i need to go on a diet which is the best diet for me and there are millions of diets mm-hmm. out there aren't there and, and lots of different ways of of, of eating different types of food mm-hmm. so so what do you think about the diet industry well, I, I like to look at numbers, statistics so statistics say that 95% of the people who lose weight on a diet within five years or sometimes even less put the weight back on and much okay, more it's an interesting so that's so diets do work for five percent of the people mm. but 95 percent of the people it doesn't work mm. um so that's some that's numbers right that's just numbers yeah. um they don't lie i mean diets actually they perpetuate your low self-worth mm. so if you are approaching diet from the mindset of i need to lose weight to be happy they actually, I, I would say they create what uh, clinicians would say disordered eating. Okay. A basically complicated relationship with food. Because yep. mm. it kind of brings up, brings up a restrictive mindset around food. And the psychology of restriction is that restriction and binging are two sides of the same coin. You know, right. a simple thing like if you, you know, in, in life, if you think you can't do something. You yeah. want to do it more. You want yeah. to do it more. Okay. So then creates compulsions around food. So you feel out of control around food. Yeah. And that's why you have the kind of, you know, you're good all day. You're sort of living off coffee and salad. And you mm. end up binging at night. It's interesting, the language as well, isn't it? I mean, some of the, the diets that are out there talk about sort of free points and good foods and bad foods and stuff like that. So there's a, I guess there's a whole psychology around the way that you, you internalise what kind of a food, what food stuff is yeah it's very interesting actually uh you know i think in slimming world they call it sins yes, <laughs> yes they do yeah. yeah it's interesting association isn't it because yeah. I know yeah. it's like the, the sin is evil isn't it yeah, yeah exactly exactly it's sort of i think you can start to uh, measure your sense of worth it's almost like a food becomes a moral thing yeah so if eating salads or good food you are morally yeah, you're, you're a better person you're than a be- if you if yeah. you eat cake and 
all the rest of it yeah yeah so it's like it's not just food it's actually you're defining your self-worth how you feel about yourself whether you're doing well in life depending on what food you consume mm. so you're giving so much power over to food yeah I hadn't even thought no, about it. No, it's un- unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. I'm thinking of all the sins that I've had in the last year. <laughs> yeah, all, all the sins I've committed over the past 40 years. I know, years, I know. I feel, I feel absolutely morally bankrupt yeah, me right too. now. Yeah. <laughs> we're, all, we're all doomed, aren't we? We're, we're all going doomed. to hell. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, it's just it's extraordinary. Yes, go on. Shall we? Sorry if we interrupt you. No, no. Um, it, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the people I work with, one of the common experiences they have is guilt and shame mm. so after they you know binge eat on chocolate or whatever it might be yeah. your your thing your particular sinful food as it were uh you you do suffer from emotional pain so you suffer from emotional discouragement and self-critical thoughts and you can get trapped in that cycle so mm. you binge and then you feel guilt and shame and then is you, that the binge diet cycle yeah that's exactly it the binge diet cycle so you binge and then you feel very shamed and guilty and then you vow that tomorrow you're going to start over again yeah and you're going to be on a restrictive um diet like you're yeah. going to eat salads or whatever it might be and then um and then and then you kind of lose control and you get is trapped it, in that cycle yeah that's that's really interesting isn't it it's like um you're on the diet you make a mistake or you say you know i'm gonna have a chocolate digestive and the top one chocolate digestive ends up being two or three i know and then you think you know what what's the point i've had three chocolate digestives i've I done it in four. Yeah. i might as well do the packet in. absolutely you know and you and that psychology you've done yourself in haven't you so you, you you're off your diet you're punishing yourself because you've been very naughty yeah and you know it's difficult to start again the following day, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's also, you know, one of the key mindsets we need to heal to break free from the binge diet cycle is all or nothing. Yeah, which is what you described. Like you know, that black or white black thinking. Black or white thinking. Yeah. Exactly. It's like you're either good or bad. There's no in between. There's no in between. And also, the other thing about dieting and binging is that you are disconnected from your body. Because you're handing over the power to the experts who are going to give you the diet plan. They're going to tell you what's good and bad. So you're, you are disempowering yourself. Yeah. So therefore, you feel disempowered and mm. out of control. You need somebody else to tell you what's good and bad. Mm. So inherent to that process is that a lack of trust within yourself. Mm. Do you see well, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so you, yeah. Lose, you lose social control of, of what your decisions are with regard to food. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think people in general... Uh, are happier to give that responsibility over to somebody else because what are the reasons for giving that responsibility over? It's a very interesting question, actually. I think it's um, there's a lack of trust within yourself. We might be holding on to beliefs about ourselves as a food addict, for okay. instance. This yeah. is some of the things that I've worked with the people. They have a, a limiting belief that they are somebody who can't control themselves around food. Mm-hmm. But what they don't often realise is that that lack of control has come from the dieting mindset. Mm. So then it's very interesting. You know, this is where a lot of the eureka moment happened. I mean, ha- this is what happened to me and then other people I work with is that when you start to realise you're binging and compulsions and addictions that are coming from the deprivation re- restriction, that's very powerful. Mm. So so can I just ask, is binging start from say continually snacking or large amounts of food or just all of it yeah so, uh, so there's two definitions binging strictly speaking is consuming a large amount of food in a short period of time right the other aspect is emotional eating so emotional eating dieting does not address at all so emotional eating is the core of what i 
one of my work, which is eating to escape from painful feelings. Right. Mostly. Sometimes yeah. you can eat to celebrate too. Um, when you're feeling like you deserve a reward, you've had a hard day, you want to eat. But mostly emotional eating is about numbing difficult feelings. Mm. And binge eating has two components to it. Usually the main cause of binge eating is restriction, but also excruciatingly painful feelings as well. Right. So, for example, if you had a disagreement with your partner and you're experiencing emotional discomfort, it's unbearable. You would just stuff down food. You would just eat food, like large, consume large quantities of food. Yeah. to suppress the painful feelings that are arising in your mind as a result of having that uh, difficult exchange. It's interesting because I, I spoke to Jim about this the other day. We were chatting, obviously, about seeing you and talking to you and about what you do. And I said, comfort eating is not something I'm, I experience. And if I'm in a stressful or ang- anxious situation or upset... I don't eat. Yeah. I stop eating. Yeah. You conversely. lose your appetite. I lose my appetite. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I, might, I might turn to a glass of wine. Yes. Perhaps. But never eating. For some reason, Yes. emotional distress causes me to stop eating. So this is obviously something that's not, is, you know, a different, different people have different reactions it, to it. It kind of yes. makes sense that you may find comfort in eating to squash down yeah. those those feelings. Yes. It, it does make sense to me that... Mm. that yeah. That, uh, no, I, I understand. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting because it just doesn't happen to me. I go completely the opposite. I stop eating. Yes. We all respond to emotional discomfort very differently. So, you yeah. know, you mentioned a glass of wine. Yeah. Somebody else, it could be watching something. Yeah. Or something else. So, I think it's um, the way sort of I understand all addictive behaviours. They are just behaviours. Mm, we're, yeah. we're, we're not addictive people. We have a tendency towards addiction. Uh, whether it's food or something else, is that it's just a short-term coping mechanism. Right. So what's instinctive as a human being is to escape painful feelings. Nobody wants to experience emotional discomfort. Yeah. And you seek to escape it. So it might be uh, food for people who emotionally eat is food. For s- somebody else, it would be something else. Yeah. Drink, drugs, rock and roll. Exactly. Yeah. Long exactly. Walk, run. Sh- yeah. yeah, or even shopping. Or shopping, even yes. that's a Working hard, Yeah. being busy is another one. Yeah. But in society, there are certain activities we venerate. You know, someone's mm-hmm. very successful, they're very busy, but they might be trying to escape difficult, painful feelings. Yeah. But we think that's great. You know, yeah. they're really hardworking. But with food, there's a lot of shame and guilt. Yeah. There's a lot more judgment around it because it's yeah. associated with weight and so on. So. so how do you identify if you have an unhealthy relationship with food, Shelf? Mm. Yeah, so I will be asking some questions like, you know, how much of your thoughts and energy goes into thinking about food? So, you know, in my case, for example, when I was obsessed about weight loss and uh, and so on, it, it, it was a huge part of my thoughts. Mm. You know, you think about what are you going to have. What sort of percentage of the time? I would say about, it's very individual. I would say yeah. quite, quite a big, like, almost like I would say your life revolves around food. Okay. Uh, like I was working with somebody who said that when they went on holiday, they had to smuggle in... <laughs> <laughs> you know their own food prep because yeah. they were on the strict diet right uh, and then if you if someone if you invite it to a party you get really anxious because you're going to be around food that you're not supposed to have mm. so your life is really like controlled by your diet yes and you can never relax so you know um it's you know, true it's so true it gets so obsessive it does sorry no, i i, I you just it. i just thought 
what you're saying, and I'm thinking, when you go on an all-inclusive holiday, for instance, and yes. you can eat and drink as much as you please. Yes. And yet, when I do that, I go on this all-inclusive holiday, and I spend the whole day not eating, so that I can actually eat everything on the buffet later that night. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, but emotionally, I've probably been done. I've actually, it's been a tough gig on that day, laying on the beach, not trying to eat. I, I Sorry, I just, it just came out of my, I just thought, oh, yeah, all those hours I've spent <laughs> depriving myself and it's emotionally affecting me. Okay, that's one example. <laughs> Extreme and a bit different, but yeah. That's one example. Exactly. It's a bit like that, really. I think the other thing is about, what well, another question is, how do you feel around food? So... People who have a complicated relationship with food, they will have uh, complicated relationships, um, emotions towards food. So, okay. like good and bad. Yeah. Um, some, like I, I know a lot of people who I worked with, it, like, mm. oh, you know, I have to tell my partner they cannot bring this food into the house. They can't be around particular foods. They feel like they're going to lose control. Okay. Right. So there's a lack of peace when you're around food. Yeah. And you're obsessing about food and weight. So you're constantly weighing yourself. If weight, So not everybody's thinking about weight loss. No. But a big proportion of the people do think about weight loss. Yeah. And also you can have a complicated relationship with food and you don't necessarily need to lose weight either. Mm. So it's not, it's not always associated yeah. with the weight loss. For me it was. Yeah. There are people who... We're associated with trauma and things like that. Oh, it? yeah. And the deeper reasons why we emotionally is to do with unresolved trauma. Can, can that trauma be... You know, you touched on it there when you said about your partner not being able to bring things into the house. That adds, a, that adds another pressure to yeah. the whole situation, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think uh, you're trying to control everybody, your environment, yeah. what other people eat, where you can go. So it's, it can actually progress the problem. Yeah, it makes you feel even more out of control because yeah. you don't feel you can trust yourself and then you're living in this world full of temptations and whatever yeah. Yeah. and that creates tension. I mean, even your family can't relax, you know. No, um, no. Yeah, so it creates disharmony. It can, it can create disharmony. You know, if you've got a partner who kind of wants to do what he wants to do or what they want to do and then you have particular ideas. Yeah. You can't have meal times together because you're on a diet. So it, it can... Yeah, it can and really, it can affect your relationship, particularly if your relationship is built on enjoying yeah. their company and eating and cooking and, 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 and just having that moment during the day to share the food that, that that's, that you've bought and enjoyed and cooked and enjoyed. So exactly. all of a sudden that whole thing changes, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Because usually food is a way of bonding, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like you eat together. Mm. Celebrations time, as well. Celebrations, you know, then if you, you're on a diet and you're like, oh, well, that's not on the... Not, I can't on the list. I can't <laughs> yeah, have that one. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, is there, a, is there a normal relationship with food? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think normal relationship with food is you just food is food. Right. You enjoy oh. it. And you might follow nutritional kind of advice, mm. but it's sort of like it's fuel, source of pleasure. Yeah. Take it or leave it. It doesn't consume your life. It doesn't control your life. Yeah. But what, 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 like me, I'll, I'll confess. This is a confession. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Steady on, John. I'm going to confess. I actually eat lots of food yeah. when i eat <laughs> i don't just eat yeah i go back for seconds yeah i'll go back even if there's things, and i hate and i say to my wife honestly i say to my wife <laughs> i can't bear that i can't bear that being left yeah you know yeah. i just can't it's just you're going to throw it away this is not right yeah. <laughs> john can i ask a question were you, you were you the generation that had to eat everything on your plate yeah, I was. Yeah, as was I. And I think I think there's a degree of trauma in that as yeah. well, Chelvy, isn't there? Yeah. Because we're not 
we're not waste bins. No, we? that's right. Yeah. I think food was. I mean, our parents kind of. My parents were kind of. I came out the war and rationing and stuff like that. Mm. So they kind of fed us as much as they could because then they don't could, waste it. Don't waste mm. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't yeah. chuck it away. No, people right. are going hungry. That's it. That is, that's exactly it. Starving children in Africa. Yeah, that was the. That, <laughs> that, was, the that was another thing. No, yeah. it, it was something that was was obviously. I can remember that being mentioned at school and by my parents and mm. stuff like that to encourage me to eat. And it's interesting because, you know, there are, I think different cultures approach food differently as well yeah. because I read somewhere, or it's probably my wife who told me, that in France a lot of French people don't eat everything that's on their plate. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so they'll they'll have, you know, a croissant or, or you know, some patisserie of some description, but they won't eat the whole thing. They'll leave a little bit. Yeah. Whereas you or I, John... Just go. I would be having seconds and thirds. Somebody once told me. I don't know if you've heard that, Shelby. I don't. Somebody once told me that it was good manners to leave something on your plate. But then in other cultures, it's rude. Yeah, you know, if you leave Chinese culture, for example. I mean, you and I know we've been invited to a few Chinese parties. And we have. And if you eat what's on your plate, they just pile more on. That's right. They do. It's, they uh, do. Yeah, yeah, that's very similar to my culture in yeah. Sri Lanka. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very similar. Yeah. I had my honeymoon in Sri Lanka. Oh, did you? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Jim's going to edit this out, but I'll tell you a story. <laughs> we were, Love it. We came down for lunch Yeah. on our first day. Or for, yeah, it was our first day. came down to lunch at the, in, in the restaurant in the hotel. And they were doing a Sri Lankan curry buffet. Oh, yes. And there were 15 Sri Lankan curries laid out yeah. to try. Yes. Okay, and my wife and I only eat lunch. We have a sandwich or something. But I have to tell you, that day my wife ate every curry. <laughs> 15 curries. Three hours later. You're missing out. Three hours later, she had consumed every single type of Sri Lankan curry. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of get it. <laughs> How do emotions and food affect what and when we eat so when you're emotionally eating you could be eating all the time it could be eat, it, essentially you're driven by emotions to eat so if you're feeling stressed yeah. you might eat if you're feeling anxious you might eat so if you're feeling quite sort of depressed or low you might eat mm. uh, if you're feeling fatigued you might eat mm. sometimes it just, is, it, is it sorry is it about what you eat or is it just eating because i know that certain foods trigger you know all kinds of chemical reactions in your brain yeah um, so is, are there certain foods that, that exacerbate that or is it just the, the act of eating? It's very interesting, actually. I mean, this is something I'm still exploring based on the people I worked with. People turn to different food for, for you know, things that you wouldn't even think. Oh, is, that, is that food you'd binge on? Mm. <laughs> um, obviously, the obvious ones are sugar, high sugar, mm, high yeah, fat, yeah. you know, that's salt. Your salt. Yeah, that's the obvious ones. The paradigm that I work in is that, okay, there are certain foods that do have a, are more slightly more addictive than other food, but actually a lot of our addiction is within us. Like the addictive tendencies are within us, which we project onto the food. So I'm recently uh, working with someone who was a very, very insightful lady who kind of was able to decipher all the emotions that she was projecting onto sugar, stimulation, companionship excitement so she, these are all the emotions that she desired and for her that's what she was projecting onto the sugary food that she was eating so what she was eating is a projection of her own mind 
Okay, that's kind of sounds quite deep, but does, he was yeah. able to see through that. Like, this is what I'm seeking. This is these are my unmet needs, yeah. and I'm seeking this through wanting a sugar high, so that you know somebody else might it might be cocaine or mm. something else, you know, or some other type of high. But it's seeing through that was a um, gave her some space to break the addictive hold that sugar had over her. Almost like she's noticed it. Yeah. And as soon as she's noticed it, yeah. she's able to then step away from it. Yeah. Sugar doesn't have that spell over her. Right. It had a hold over her before because she didn't realise she was projecting these qualities onto this particular food item, you know. Mm. So sugar is never going to take away her loneliness, for example. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when you see through that, then it's like, okay, right, that, that's not rational. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm. But um, that's a huge part of the healing, actually, is awareness, non non-judgmental, compassionate awareness of why why you're eating the way you are mm-hmm. i bet that takes some unpacking as well doesn't it, it does yeah. i mean it's, it's it sounds similar to somebody acknowledging that they're an alcoholic mm. would you say that's very similar similar yeah i think yeah. it's like uh, we all have many different different types of addictions but if you explore the mindset behind it they are very similar we are looking to escape the emotional discomfort and we um, we're also looking to escape unmet needs, or we're projecting our unmet needs onto the object of addiction. Right. So it might be food, it might be shopping, it might be something else for somebody else. That's why I'm sort of I like to operate on the paradigm that then give away too much power to the actual food substance. Yeah. Mm. And really, because that then that can make you feel powerless. A certain food that has a particular type of um, hold over me. But if you can focus on what is it, what am I projecting onto these food items, whether it's sugar or whatever it might be, it, it gives you the empowerment to then break that cycle, that dependency yeah. on it. Well, yeah. What do you, Jim, what, I mean, I know you're obviously plant-based in your food, but what would you say was, would have been your go-to food when or is there one now i don't know uh, back in the day yeah bacon sandwich bacon sandwich mm. yeah interesting yeah. isn't yeah. it yeah and, yeah and just meat i yeah. used to eat a lot of meat yeah i think mine's bread yeah i think that's a lot of people is it yeah you? yeah i think it was for me as well i had a very complicated relationship with food uh, with bread <laughs> yeah. there's so many of them <laughs> yeah i know i know yeah i think it's a, it's very interesting when you're tired um, when you feel lacking in energy, we turn towards bread, that type of food, um, yeah. to help us uh, give me a pick me up. You know, so it's like sometimes the kind of food you're reaching out to can tell you what you're sort of looking for as well. Stimulation, mm. you know, uh, sugar. You want that kind of energy rush yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so on. So, so when you've identified the issue, you 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 acknowledge it. What's the journey then? Is it is it a simple? Obviously, is this where you come in? Is that how you, yeah, so you lead the, or the journey for them? Yes. I mean, in the way I work, I have a program, which mm. is a very systematic way of working through your relationship with food. Yeah. And the week one, the, the first step is always awareness. And so we don't change anything about your life. You look at your your emotions. So what I ask uh, people to do is to keep an emotional diary. Right. <laughs> so not emotional diary, a diary that's pinpointing the emotional drivers behind your food choices. Yeah. So you know, like in dieting, you're you asked to keep a like a food, food diary. diary yeah. <laughs> so it's the, the opposite. We're not even interested in the food. It's really looking at emotional patterns that leads you into emotional and binge eating. And after that, the main crux of the work, and there's lots around it, but the main crux of the work is actually, it sounds very um, 
uh, it might not, yeah, anyway, I'm going to just sort of express it, is actually healing your relationship with yourself. Mm. So if, for example, if you find yourself eating uh, after a disagreement with your partner, mm. that's just an example, or maybe another example is, you know, I work with people who are quite high achievers, who are incredibly successful, but they suffer from the imposter syndrome, you know. So, yes. And then so they binge at night. They feel like an imposter, although they have this amazing career and they're well regarded in their field, mm. but they don't feel like they're, they're worthy. So underneath that, uh, there's a sense of I'm not good enough, for example. And then that is painful. That's a very painful state of being. And then they binge at night to kind of relief, get some relief, some comfort from that painful yeah, emotion. Yeah. And unwind as well. And if, unwind. In this, if a people in a, who are high achievers have got stressful jobs and stressful times in their life or continually through their working life, and food would be a, an absolute go-to comfort. Definitely, definitely. They will talk about looking forward to their binges. You know, it's really? like that excitement that that's going to be their time like you know your me time as it were you know watching netflix you know and that's just a one example but it could manifest in different ways too or even eating throughout the day as well just to kind of get through the day because just to add to the the question i mean people high achievers long hours stressful jobs maybe finish late don't want to cook yeah go to pizzas go to mcdonald's go to all of the fast food outlets and all of a sudden they, they become addicted to these foods is that is that is that a is that that could be that could, be, could that. be that but it might not necessarily um, lead to binge or emotional eating it could right. just be a lifestyle thing yeah but you might not necessarily it might not be problematic you might have a healthy life unhealthy lifestyle and your health will be compromised but it might not be mm, you know some people choose to have an unhealthy lifestyle don't they because mm, yeah well some people just don't like food yeah. they just like the food like you know the fast food they don't like good food they don't yes. like vegetables they don't like fish or meat or plant-based food if you if you're yes. you know a vegan or a, veg- a vegetarian so you know yes so it's it's complicated it's a complicated thing i think with the emotional eating is specifically you're trying to numb painful feelings you know so it's sort of so you know in answer to your question about how do you work with it it's really about helping them identify the painful self they're relating to buried underneath the painful feeling so so this is not about diet advice what you should eat no what you shouldn't eat what may be helpful what may not be helpful in terms of what you put in your mouth it's about hang on a second before you do that let's examine the the reasons why yes you're doing it absolutely because i never mention anything about food in my program so food doesn't matter what you're eating in a way yeah it's it's very interesting because when you start to resolve the emotional pain underneath the food choices and then you start to help um, train them in mindful eating practices which involves tuning into your body you will naturally start to make healthy food choices that's incredible that's not coming from because you should no uh, that you should diet is good for you but it's actually because you are listening to your body as opposed to your emotions yeah so when you're emotionally eating you're feeding your emotions you're not feeding your body um so when you start to heal their painful painful self-identification i'm not good enough i'm not worthy mm. i'm not lovable you know these are kind of these um, are all really punitive words and phrases aren't they you just talked about should there yes and there's a lot of that in the dieting world oh, isn't yes. there? i must do this and i should do that yes mm. And this is, you know, it's almost like beating yourself up, isn't it? And Absolutely. I guess this is a, is this a cycle that 
that you find some of your clients in? It's very interesting. I think that dieting actually perpetuates that uh, sense of failure. Mm. You know, if you've been a, so a lot of women I work with, they've been on the diet just like myself for you know sometimes many decades actually. Like you know, so they've been on it for three decades, four decades. And it's, it can be damaging, can't it, in it's the long term? It's incredibly damaging. So you have a very low self worth. You feel like a failure. Mm. You feel like you haven't got it together, or you're greedy, or you're something wrong with you that you haven't, you couldn't pull it together for the diet to work. So you already have a sense of I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, on top of other emotional, unresolved emotional trauma that you haven't dealt with. So in a way, that dieting culture is cons- it's toxic. It's toxic, and it's solidifying your sense of inadequacy, mm-hmm. which is very painful. I mean, we, we touched on it earlier about we brought up in this society of um it, you must eat everything yes but when did where do you think it started culturally do you think it, with as would you think the media mm. and social network or do you go to go before that where did we suddenly decide to start dieting i mean yeah. is it I, mean, I put that to the yeah. room i'm just yeah. thinking well how, how did we start doing all this yeah. because there must have been something that 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 i mean i i, I just feel it might have come from I think it's because we we live in a world of abundance right now. Yeah. And I I said I was going to do this, but I'm going to get on one anyway on the food industry. I think supermarkets have a lot to answer for. Mm. I think food producers have got a lot to answer for in terms of the food-like substances they produce that aren't really food, Mm. which, you know, we were talking earlier on about high fat, high salt, high sugar. These kind of foods are all at low levels yeah. and um, people pick them up and they set off all kinds of reactions in people's mm. brains. Yeah. And I think I think they contribute, definitely contribute towards certainly emotional feelings about food. And, uh, and I think it, you know, we, we, you talked about then, John, about when did this start? I think I think probably the dawn of supermarkets yeah, no, I, I get, I get was, you. was probably a, a, a start yeah. of, of when we had all this stuff that we wasn't available before. Yeah. You know, and you could, we used to go to the butcher, the greengrocer, yeah. and buy, you know, relatively fresh food. Yeah. And now it's all sort of prepackaged in a supermarket and you can go and, and worship the, the god of, uh, you know, consumerism yeah. and get whatever you like. Yeah. And these are not, they're not food for the body, are they? They're food for emotions, yeah. like yeah. sugar. That sugar has no nutritional... And they're packaged, and they're packaged mm. to look attractive to eat. Exactly, like this chocolate's quite sexy, isn't it? Like it's yeah. sort of mm. the way it's marketed. Yeah. It's almost like, I don't know, it's, in, it's an association that, that's being made, an emotional association, yeah. which is kind of not what we need. Food's there to fuel, fuel our body. Yeah. I'm, di- I'm dying to ask you, you do, has, um, has the pandemic... Is it, is, have things changed? Has it got worse? Do you think more people have had uh, yeah. troubles with, with eating and, and, and their problems with their association and their relationship? Definitely. So um, so the last few groups I've done and one-to-one work through, you know, the last yeah. year. So if you, if you had an emotional eating challenge, it's probably been exaggerated. Like it's, it's, it's sort of brought it home to you that you definitely have a problem with food. Because before the pandemic, you had many distractions. Mm. Uh, you can go out, you can go to the gym, you can do this, you can do that. Uh, your social world is uh, taken away from you. Many things you would have done are taken away from you. So, what you know, one person I'm working with, you know, he was sort of saying that the only thing that he's got to look forward to is eating because lots of the other things mm. that he would normally do has been taken away from him. So, that's in a way that's sort of made him reach out 
to you know seek yeah. help but in another way yeah it's very it's tough it's tough also stressful life circumstances financial insecurity homeschooling just the fact that you're living with a virus could potentially yeah potentially take away someone's life you know just yeah. that you know i know we death is all around us but we're more aware of it aren't we well, we have been over the last yeah exactly yeah, so right. it's a high level of anxiety yeah so then if you if you turn to food in general to cope with emotions everything's heightened now yeah so definitely it's affected a lot of there people. is definitely a live today live for today and, and forget tomorrow attitude is almost like we're on a war footing in 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 the in society where you know well you know i could be dead tomorrow the yeah. way things are and i'm just going to eat <laughs> i'm going to yeah. drink yeah yeah. I've got to bake. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of baking going on. <laughs> I think also maybe because you, you know, like even in my life, you know, some, there are many things you look forward to, isn't there? Like holidays and other, you know, other things. I normally go on retreats and so on. But suddenly that's all been taken away from you. So you're just like, oh, well, I might as well just sit with a chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden your relationship with food yeah. is, is, is heightened or t- changed, yeah. isn't it? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think you. I mean, I think the way I think about it is this pandemic can be an opportunity if you look at it the right way, because it's sort of like bring exposing some of the the challenges, emotional challenges that we always had, but it's become more exposed. Mm. So if you look at it in the right way, it's, there is an opportunity to transform. You know, if you can't see something, you can't change it. Mm. So, because it's sort of bringing, it's, it's uncomfortable because you're seeing it. But if you can work with it, mm. there is a possibility of growth and healing. Yeah, yeah. So and there's been a lot of growth and healing over this pandemic, as well as yes. you know, the opposite of that. Definitely, definitely. There's been a lot of time where people have had an opportunity to look at themselves. Yes, understand themselves a little bit better, and yes. and, and, and look at some of those emotions that maybe they weren't too bothered about looking at before. Absolutely. Absolutely, mm. yeah. So, Chelvy, what do you think about the pressure of media and social networking and how they contribute to body image and how we think about food? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've, I'm concerned for the younger people, younger generation, really, because we kind of, they're being brought up in the social media world, the yeah. Instagram mm. world, where, you know, you can put filters on, you can, you can Photoshop your images. Yeah. So, you know, I think... Um, I mean, it was bad enough 20 years ago with sort of vogue and, and and magazines with size zero models yeah and it's just it's it must be really tough being a young person now looking at those images that you're supposed to look like exactly, exactly. I, I know i know from the, my experience with my kids although that you know they're guys and they both have more conscious uh, awareness of that will have everything about them than the, than i ever did when mm. i was their age Absolutely, absolutely. I think this is quite concerning, isn't it? It's that I think uh, the statistics around self harm and teenagers was shocking. So yeah. there's a lot of self hatred, self loathing, yeah. uh, because you're measuring yourself um, against artificial bodies, artificial yeah. images of unattainable, un- unattainable, unattainable looks. Yeah, exactly. And then also we're becoming quite superficial, I think, as well in sort of hiding behind our social media life which is a, a a particular projection isn't it it's not really reality mm. and i wonder whether you know younger people are losing the skills of connecting or, or of empathy i'm sorry it sounds a bit dark but no it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's true yeah i mean i yeah i do feel concerned and i think eating disorders again are on the rise as mm. well so i mean they, they have been historically but definitely i would say yes it's not it's not great really so how, how, what is body acceptance and how, how does one go about developing it? 
there's many different schools of thought yeah. of body positivity and so on, and many different takes on it. My particular uh, philosophy of around body acceptance is simply accepting your body for what it is, mm-hmm. nothing more uh, and nothing less. So it's just appreciating the fact that we have a human body and, and it's giving us the opportunity to live the life that we have. And one of the kind of exercises that we do in our group is, it uh, sounds kind of morbid, but actually it's an, it's an interesting exercise. I mean, I, I seek permission before I lead people on this journey, but I sort of project their life forward and imagine that they're at their deathbed. And then they look back at their life from that perspective, like a life review. And then you look back at your life and you look at what's meaningful, what's important. And nobody says at the end of the exercise, I was concerned about my body weight. Mm. <laughs> you know? That's incredible, isn't it? So it's really about the perspective. Mm. You know, your body is just the body. It's, you know, you want to make it healthy. You want to make, you know, you want to live long. You want to give it vitality. You want to have energy. You want to live your best life. But it's just a means to an end. And that's my particular philosophy. Uh, I know different people have different schools of thought yeah. around it. But I think that just keeps it grounded, realistic, and essentially it's about being comfortable in your own skin mm. and not giving your body any more importance than it needs, which is that it's a vehicle for your human life and you're more than your body. Yeah. 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 You're more than your body. You know what I'm thinking is you should go into schools and tell 13 to 16-year-olds mm. that because I think they, the generation... They could do with hearing it. They could they? do with hearing it, Jim, because, mm. I mean, that's where, you know, those are the people that really mm. should be considering what you're saying massively, I think. Absolutely. Because that would... It's so important, and it is true what you're saying. Yes. It, it is a vehicle. This is what we are born with. This is what we have to accept and yes. and, and live with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, uh, you know, again, coming back to the social media life, we do. We live in a very superficial world where beauty has become skin deep, you know, and that's the breeding ground for lots of mental health issues. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Over-identifying with your external appearance. So body acceptance is just almost a little bit like letting go of your body, accepting, mm. being at peace, and mm. then getting on with your life. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested, we go back a little bit, you know, we were talking about partners a while ago, and we, how would you, how would you advise a client whose partner has not been supportive? What would you include them? How, to, how does it work? I think for me, the way we work is that you are in control. Like um, my work is about empowering the individual. Yeah. And it's interestingly what I have had. The feedback is my my partner has said I'm much more relaxed now. <laughs> you know they say oh my partner say oh you're you're much more easy to be around so that's the feedback i have got um which is that it doesn't involve their partner so in a way you you the the, my idea is the way i work is to empower the individual and they're responsible for their emotional triggers and their um sense of well-being and their relationship with food which the normal consequence of that is their relationship with their partners become much easier or their family becomes much easier. Right. So this is not about changing what you eat. It's about changing your mind. Yeah. 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 Right. And being more relaxed around food, right? So food freedom is basically what's food freedom. You feel peaceful around food. Mm. Food doesn't have control over you, which means your partner could have whatever they want, but you don't necessarily, you don't have to control them because you are relaxed around food and you can choose, do I want to have that or do I not? So before food freedom, you would have been trying to control the environment and control 
what people around your house need uh, can eat or can't eat because you can't be around that particular food. Mm. So in reality, it can really help bring a, a family together because um, you're more relaxed around food. You're just more relaxed as a person. Mm. So in, I mean, the, the interesting thing is as you start to work, uh, go through this process, you realise this is not about the food at all. It's really about your sense of being and your sense, you know, your inner resilience. And as you start to release and relax and let go, everything else falls into place. Your relationship with food will naturally start to change for the better. Mm. Yeah. It's it's curious, isn't it? Because when we first started talking to you, I was under the impression that it was about the food. Oh, yeah. And as, we, and as we've as we've gone on this journey, this this podcast uh, journey, yeah, it's that you know a couple of sentences there has yeah. really summed everything up. Yeah, yeah. it's quite phenomenal. Yeah, it's tr- I mean, for, just a question uh, for someone that say, for instance, you put this. This is a hypothetical, maybe. Say, you, for instance, you uh, uh, an expectant mother came to you and said. No, I, I'm, I want to bring my child up uh, with um, the right diets and stuff like that. I don't, and would you think she or, or, or the father or the, the couple were being obsessive about food or would you just say relax? Relax. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that kind of answered the question. I just yeah, yeah. wanted to ask, ask the question yeah. to see if I could answer it really, but that's that's what you would say. Yeah, I think I think it's um, you can teach cause and effect, you know. So so for example, mindful eating practice is what I train people in. That's yeah. just learning to have a normal relationship, you know, a healthy relationship with food. We were learning to tune into your body. So for example, when you consume a certain type of food, it, how does it affect you energetically? Does yeah. it lift you up or does it deplete your energy? That's one of the things you tune into. Some people call it intuitive eating. Yeah. So that, that's just factual. It's not emotional. It's not driven by emotion. You're starting to tune into your body. So you're also training to stuff like hunger, fullness, scale. Mm. Is this head hunger? Is it emotional hunger? Is it physical hunger? Or is it just a desire to just eat? That's okay as well. So it's not rigid. It's not like a diet. It's very much a very fluid way of trusting your body mm relaxing into your body letting your body telling you um what to eat and what not to eat um and within that there's there's room for eating for pleasure as well so mm. so that's like an innate intelligence held within your body mm. you know so you so what i would be what i try to do i've got a daughter myself she's three and a half is in a very gentle way help her tune into her body you know just gentle way empowering her to make decisions around food and and also showing the example of being I think children learn by example don't they you yeah, can tell yeah. them don't yeah. the cows come home but actually it's your example of just being relaxed around food not obsessing about food I think that's going to have the biggest impact on your children so do you think parents who say you must eat this it's good for you and and start pressurizing a child how does, it, does yeah. that that must have an effect yeah, I think, you know, I could see even my little one, she's quite contrary, her nature, she's quite rebellious. Yeah. So I definitely don't try to do that with her. I give her lots of choices. And she naturally eats food that's really healthy, not because I've sort of told her it is healthy. I mean, she will have her her treats and so on. But it's really about kind of, I'm going to use the word relaxing around food. I know, you know, just being... Not giving... So if she wanted to go to McDonald's or, or say, I want McDonald's, I want to... KFC. <laughs> no, I want to go KFC. No, you, you really, you, that, that's, that's low, John. What is that's that? That's low, McDonald's. <laughs> no, that's I, like the I, crack I, cocaine for kids, isn't I it? I know, but I, you know, I've got it, I've experienced it in, yeah. in, in kids, my own kids. The pasta like, power. The past, yeah, honestly, yeah. I'm just thinking, 
they, you know, these are pushers on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just they do. They become yeah. obsessive about these these foods and yeah. and and you think how am i going to get off them how, how am i going to get away from it yeah and i've seen other kids who i'm not my kids and I, i'll say this honestly but i've seen other kids who have just literally become all they will eat is is that yeah i know yes it's that's a tricky one actually i think i think there's something about Par- parental example as well i don't know yeah. what, what's going on there but I, I understand that you know when they start to become influenced by peers it's a little bit out of, outside your control yeah. um tricky so, one that so so go, going back to, i'm going to talk about myself a little bit here just because i'm interested in what what, the, what i'm doing is if i go if i don't exercise yeah i don't enjoy my food interesting but yeah. if i exercise if i go for a 5k walk or i do something energetic yeah I come home, I really enjoy my food. Yeah. I feel I've earned it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. I don't do anything, I feel yeah. I shouldn't be eating this. <laughs> so my relationship with food is a bad one. <laughs> but if I exercise, it's a good one. Yeah. Because I'm happy, I've done, I can deserve this now. Yeah. Is, is that normal? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting one, actually, because I, I mean, I can relate to that myself. I was very similar. And what I, that, in my own healing journey, and this is what I teach the people I work with as well, is to break down the relationship between exercise and the right to eat right so you almost feel like you have to earn the right to eat so exercise becomes if so maybe i mean depending on we all have to assess what our real relationship with exercise and food is but some ladies i worked with it's almost like they overeat and then they don't go and punish themselves by exercising to burn yeah. the calorie off so it's like a very punitive relationship with <laughs> exercise so what we try to do is to enjoy movement i call it movement because it's a bit more less loaded because exercise for people can be associated with burning calories yeah Mm. um so moving your body is another way of emotional well-being enhancing emotional well-being yeah it makes you feel good it makes you feel good so you want to move your body because it feels good yeah not because you're earning the right to eat yeah. or not because you are feeling guilty because you're overeating last night and now you're going for a 5k run. Yeah, so kind of that punitive thing, isn't it? A, yeah. the, this is the thing, it's about the mindset. Yeah. It is really about the mindset. <laughs> <laughs> John, you need to give yourself a break. I do, honestly, I'll go, <laughs> listen, when the balls are open, I, this is what I used to do. I have, 20, I have to do 20 lengths and after I've done that, I deserve a full English breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's what I was like, yeah. yep, I can do that, now yeah. it's fine. Yeah. That's an unhealthy relationship. It John. is. I have. I have learned today. You don't need Shelby to tell no, you that. I, but no, I now know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shelby, you, you do lots of group work. I'm yeah. really curious about that. How do your group sessions work? So, I mean, since the pandemic, I've been working via Zoom, which has been amazing. So, I had yeah. a chance to work with people from all over the UK. And the group, I'm passionate about group work because I was a social worker before, so I did lots of group work in my social work um, setting. Yeah. This is obviously quite different. It's a coaching setting. But there's something about emotional eating and binge eating. There's a lot of secrecy and shame and it, a lot of people binge eat in secret. And a lot of their family members don't know they're binge eaters. They're very hidden activities. You binge eat and then you, you kind of hide all the evidence. It's a guilt thing. It's a guilt, shame. Yes, lots of complicated emotions around that. Mm. Uh, so, so being in a group is incredibly healing because you are with people who have the same suffering. And you are, it's a six week intensive, immersive group work where you have daily support through WhatsApp and everybody gets to know each other incredibly well. And they actually make friends for life. So, that journey of going, traveling that healing journey um, with, with a group of people 
it's very very powerful mm, sounds very powerful. powerful i it's mean because powerful. like you say it's quite a I, I guess when you're binge eating it is a soulless exercise you're there yeah. and it's yeah like you say very shameful and you feel lonely yeah that and then you're sharing that experience with other people who are having the same experience as you that must be yeah very quite, uh, liberating and also you kind of like, when we're in sort of week three, I mean, that's where all the powerful revelations come about. So one example is one lady who's been binge eating for 40 years. She discovered, um, she's given me permission to talk about it, by the way, so that um, binge eating was related to losing her mum when she was 12 years old. All right. So she felt unsafe in mm. the world. She didn't know this. So she first came into the program thinking, I've got a problem with binge eating. Sure. It's, it's about the food and so on. But as she started to uncover the root cause of her binge eating, it was unresolved trauma of losing her mum when she was 12. And um, So you gave her the space to be able to discover that about herself? Yeah, because we, I guide them in an exercise where you go into your mind, your subconscious mind and so on, and really uncover where is this coming from what's the root cause and then for her it was really about feeling unsafe and she had to eat till she felt full in her stomach to feel safe and how did she react when she figured this out she's quite emotional but in a good way like Mm. she felt like Mm. oh my word this is something i never ever imagined this is the actual at the root of it and she uh, felt really light afterwards you know so obviously that's halfway through the program and her her mindset shifted before she felt like she was stuck and trapped, um, this is some, she's condemned to be a binge eater mm. because she never really understood why is that compulsion coming from, where is it coming from. Mm. Once, she, once she actually saw this is actually, I'm actually safe, I don't need to binge eat. That's it. <laughs> Amazing. And that's, uh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> that was it. What yeah. would, I mean, I, you, you sound like you've had such great successes. What, is there, was there a... A particular story that you can think of going back and thinking, actually, you know, that that was a real issue and that's now been resolved? Yeah, so uh, there's quite a few I can think of, actually. Uh, But not everybody has the same level of kind of eureka moment, um, but most people do. And if you fully embrace the process, you're ready for it, you can have life-changing insights. So one person I've just worked with in the group, um, she much younger lady in her mm. 30s so a very similar uh, traumatic childhood you know a sort of narcissistic mother right. um, and abuse and so on and for her it's a combination of things coming together but essentially what she told what she said in her testimonial was that she was an anxious person a very lonely and isolated never felt able to connect to anyone and the, in, in this particular group, it's all ladies. Mm. So they're being able to connect and being loved and, and having that compassionate support, not just from me, but also from the group, was incredibly healing. And her final conclusion was <laughs> that she feels like a different person. So, so much of her binge eating came from unfulfillment, feeling unloved, feeling unfulfilled, feeling like she wasn't worthy. Mm. And by the end of the six weeks, she signed up to a course and studying psychology and tapping into her desire to help others, which she hadn't felt like she was worthy or worthy of doing. So that was like really shifting her purpose in life. So, you know, her binge eating was coming from feeling stuck, unfulfilled, and not, not feeling like she's worthy 
of anything greater than what her conditions were. Mm. So that was a very interesting journey for her. So And the journey continues, clearly. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, you said your, that group was mainly women. What is, is there, a, is there more, kind of, is it weighted more to men and women? Yeah, the, is it? I mean, statistically, men have um, the same level of eating uh, disorders as yeah. women. So then it's not statistical difference there. Yeah. But for some reason, I only seem to attract majority women. So I've had one-to-one clients who are men. So I'm not sure what's going on there. I don't know whether that's my marketing. I'm not sure. Well, I, no, it may be men's acceptance. So women are more accepting than, than men. I mean, I've just, listen, I mean, I say this, uh, but it's true. I go back to when I was at a, a drama school and I dieted for three years religiously mm. because of my body was a, an essential part of that, the, of the equipment to be an actor. And, and it, it's continued over mm. the years in terms of, pressure of of being presentable in my job so the, you know that that look and i think i've i think i've had a problem yeah to be honest i mean i i openly say i do yeah. think i've had a problem yeah i think it's, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the usual bloke thing though isn't it you know a lot of blokes don't talk about yeah. stuff and you know they bottle it up and, yeah. and whereas women can and are able generally to be more emotional and emote more than, yeah. than some Definitely. men. So Definitely. perhaps perhaps things will change, Charles. I, I really hope so, yeah. and I really hope so. I think it's maybe as a, a, a degree of this podcast. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like um, uh, women were used to talking about weight loss yeah. and slimming world and so on, isn't it? That's already a conversation, and you're also able to talk about emotions. But interesting, you're talking about drama school, so. I think that, um, you know, I have worked with people who worked in the performing arts and who had body image issues because yeah. you, your body becomes your means of expression, doesn't it? Well, it, yeah. And you need a particular, like, a, um, you know, one person I worked with, she was a dancer and she always felt like she didn't have the right type of body. So, Well, dancers must be, that. that I mean, from my experience in working in dance schools, you know, I know for a fact that, yeah. that that has become a massive issue for dancers. Yes. You know, the, the food is, is is a real problem. Yes, absolutely. Well, they're told, yeah. aren't they, that, yeah. you know, they're too fat and... Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. You know, you talk about fat shaming, that's, yeah. probably, where, yeah. that's yeah. probably where it uh, it's affected the most, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Jelvi, what's hunger? Yeah. There are many different types of hunger. So um, there's physical hunger when you're genuinely physically hungry. But when you're emotionally, like in my case, I was eating all the time. Mm. I thought I was hungry, but I actually wasn't hungry. I didn't even know what physical hunger was when I first started on this journey. So we need to learn to decipher the different types of hunger, mm. uh, emotional hunger, uh, sometimes just environmental hunger. There's food there, you suddenly you feel hungry, you weren't hungry two minutes ago. Well, I always get that when the adverts come on and... <laughs> You know, various pizzas are being cooked on the TV, and and uh, and I, ought to, I might have eaten something already, but yeah. I, automatically, you know, the adverts are making me feel hungry. Yeah. If someone just has to talk about food, I start feeling hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a bad thing? Yes, a that's bad a thing. bad thing, John. <laughs> Sorry. So that's uh, yeah. I think there's different types of hunger, and it's really about when we doing mindful eating practices. It's about learning to train and tune into understanding different types of hunger, and then meeting their Different hunger, differently. So, for example, you might be hungry for companionship, but you're thinking, looking at a cupcake. Cupcake is not going to take away your loneliness. No. no. So, so it's like learning to identify the underlying need, okay. which is coming up as hunger. Mm. But it, what you're really hungry for, is it food or is it something else? Mm. 
So that's the essential part of the program is learning to meet your actual needs. That's been masked by emotional eating. Do you think? Do you think most people know what physical hunger is? When you're an emotional eater, no, it takes a little bit of tuning in. But you can tune in very quickly. Mm. It's innate within us, physical yeah. hunger. But because uh, if you've been dieting, you are following a plan and therefore you are breaking down the relationship between yourself and your body. Yeah, so, so you're taking it, taking it away from yourself yeah. to make yeah. that decision. Exactly. And, and how do you know when you fall? Oh, yeah, so there's, um, it's, I follow this hungerfulness scale. Oh, that was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. hungerfulness scale. So that's very interesting. So, hung, I mean, it's by Michelle May. So I'd sort of take, taken her look, her tour. I um, did her program when I first started off my own journey. But it's like a different levels of hunger and fullness. So when you're number five, so number four is like when you're, hung, when you're a little bit hungry. Number five is when you're actually eating and you feel satisfied. Number six, but you still you don't feel the food in your stomach, mm. but you're satisfied. Number six is when you can feel the food in your stomach. Number seven is like you can it's uncomfortable now. Yeah, I feel like that most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and number eight is when you're really uncomfortable. Yeah. Number nine is like when you're like I have to undo your trousers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, been there. <laughs> yeah, when you go to all you know all you can eat buffet or something like yeah, that. Yeah, been there. And number ten, yeah. you're almost unconscious. And I've been, you know, you're so eaten. That's like extreme binge eating Gosh. that you have. You yeah. become nauseous and you have to throw up and so on. So if you if you're used to eating till number eight, you can't go to number five. So you have to then work towards re- make reducing it to seven point five. Mm. So it has to be a very gradual process of mm. becoming more and more comfortable, not being overfull. Like with the lady I was discussing earlier, she had to feel that fullness to feel safe. So as she started to resolve her emotional issues around that, she was able to naturally start to reduce the de- the, the desire, the instinct to want to overeat. Yeah. But it had to happen quite gradually and safely. You know, you were, we mentioned earlier about uh, people, I think you said to yourself, Shavi, that, you, that one of the things that started your relationship with food or your understanding with food was a was a health issue yeah so if you have a health issue and like i can remember having one being told that i had high cholesterol yeah so all of a sudden my relationship with food had to be addressed yeah i had to start thinking about what i ate and what was good in my body and what was bad in my body yeah so that that becomes an added pressure so yeah how does that how does that marry itself when when you have that situation yeah it's a it's an interesting one actually because i'm working with people who are diabetic at the moment and so and then for them initially the idea of letting go of restriction felt like they're going to lose control they're yeah. going to just scoff down on sugar yeah. so they had to trust me a little bit in that process um, because I had to sort of help them understand that restriction doesn't mean you're losing control around food it's actually uh, it's an emotional shift from a mindset of deprivation which then does lead them onto binging which right. they do so in a way I would say if you have a health issue the sustainable way of becoming healthy is to embrace mindful eating. Right. So mindful eating is essentially learning to meet your emotional needs using other things like meditation, finding peace, uh, changing your lifestyle, finding fulfillment, bringing more joy and pleasure into your life. And then learning to meet your bodily needs so that in accordance with, so if you've got high cholesterol, your body is telling you there are certain type of food that you need and certain type of food you don't need. Mm. So then it kind of, you're extracting the emotional reasons for eating from your actual physical needs for eating. Mm. It becomes very clear what your body needs. Right. And that actually then it helps you 
and bring more healthy ways of eating that's sustainable. Yeah. Um, it stops the yo-yo effect of like being good and being bad and, and so yeah, on. Yeah. And it also takes away feelings of deprivation because whenever you're feeling deprived because you're eating for health, you're not going to be able to maintain that. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. There come a point where you become a little bit complacent and yeah. then you think, oh, I'll go back to eating what I want to eat. Yeah. Nobody wants to be deprived. No. Um, that's why the restrictive mindset is, has to go. Right. If you want sustainable weight loss, sustainable health, we've got to let go of the restrictive mindset. Yeah, because, it, I mean, the start of the pandemic, I probably, you know, went to that different attitude towards food in terms of, oh, I can't be asked. To be, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I did. Yeah. I thought, oh, yeah. I could be dead tomorrow. Yeah. We, we already said that. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm going to just, I'm going to have that pork chop. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I, you know, so that's a, that, that's a change in, in attitude. I mean, what, what, but what about somebody who I've heard this many times that eats out of boredom? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's a very common reason why we eat uh, out of boredom, actually. So um, there are many, many ways of working with that. I mean, um, I believe in holistically working with people. So there are no quick fixes. But with boredom, it's really about bringing more fulfillment and intention into your life. <laughs> Right, okay. So You're replacing something that's not there. Yeah, it's it's almost like um I'm oh, okay, I'll give, give an example. So I was working with a mum who, you know, two kids, very busy life and there's definitely a sense of unfulfillment underlying it. And then when her kids are sleeping, she's thinking, Oh, I'm just gonna eat and you know, watch something, you know, that's very mm-hmm. normal, very normal. And so what we did is really help her tap into her ambitions her passions that she'd sort of like forgotten about since becoming a mum and give her a sense of vitality for life again so she's a very creative person she's mm. a very talented very talented person she's actually her passion's writing children's book oh, right. so she started to write a children's book i know mean, she's got other passions too but she's a very creative person but she's suppressed that part of her since becoming a mum yeah. so it's really re- bringing that bringing that and connecting her to that is what got rid of the desire to want to eat in between meals and she doesn't and now i mean i worked with her six months ago oh, wow. and when we were in touch with subscription program she's on and she doesn't actually eat out of boredom anymore because her life's a lot more has more vitality has more purpose has yeah. more purpose and she's got things beyond her immediacy like a vision for herself mm. beyond the current um mundanity of life let's say yeah, and yeah. you know just as you were talking there and painting the picture for us of, of her sat in front of the TV eating, um, it kind of it brought brought it home to me that a lot of people when they eat are in an almost hypnotic state mm. and don't actually recognise that they're they're you know putting food in their mouth mm. for pleasurable purposes because yeah. I guess that's all it is, isn't it? It's just basically yeah. You know, you're, you're not conscious you're of not what conscious, you're doing. Absolutely. And so, is mindful eating about drawing that consciousness out yeah. and then and identify actually you know what i'm eating these maltesers am i enjoying them fully yes mm. am i going to stop when i'm full or am i just going to stuff my face while i'm watching the tv yes this is so interesting actually when you start to mindfully eat you stop eating lots of food really <laughs> yeah you do um i'm working with uh someone um one of my ma- rare male clients <laughs> not many of them one-to-one client so he used to love hamburgers and yeah. so it was because it was a one-to-one client we had a lot of freedom how we worked together and 
one of his exercises, he, he felt really out of control around mm. him, like he, that was his guilty pleasure. And oh my god, you know, I can't, you know, mm. not eat it. So he had to go and make a date with this hamburger, <laughs> <laughs> and and he had to eat, eat it mindfully. Yeah. And he discovered he actually didn't like it. Really. <laughs> He didn't actually like it. No. So how did he? How did he figure that out? But just by tasting it, like he wasn't. He was eating. I, I don't know what was going on while he was eating. He was obviously eating very quickly, very fast. Yeah, I was going to say of, full of guilt and judgment, and I shouldn't be eating this, and I'm just scoffing it down. And then he just had to slow it down because we do the, we do this exercise where you're breathing away all your judgments around food, your anxieties, your yeah. am I a good person, bad person, all, let all that go. And just savour and taste the food. This is your so-called guilty pleasure, whatever yeah, that might yeah. be. It's very different things for different people. Mm. And just to eat eat that burger, and he discovered, oh, I don't actually like this. It's funny, I had a similar thing with smoking. Oh, did you? Yeah, when yes. you kind of break down, Yeah, actually mm. tasting the smoke, uh, what does it taste of, how does it taste? It tastes flipping awful mm. yeah you know and, and you figure out why am i doing this yeah i think okay. i the same thing as jim with smoking yes because there's always the ones that you used to enjoy or thought you enjoyed and i stopped enjoying any of them and yes. i then discovered as jim did i hate the taste of this yeah not good yeah very interesting isn't it when you bring mm. awareness there's a lot of things you do mindlessly yeah and unconsciously but when you bring awareness that's all you need but it was, and also what you just were saying about eating, I'm picked up on that because I am a fast eater. Yeah. I hate it about myself, but I am a fast eater. Yeah. I don't know if it's some kind of thing, if I don't eat it quickly, it's going to disappear from my plate, but yeah. I have uh, this compulsion to eat fast. Yes. And perhaps I always think I can eat anything, but maybe I can't because maybe like your client who yeah. had the discovered he didn't like hamburgers. Maybe there's stuff out there that I really don't like either. Yeah, I think you will discover that. You really will. Um, it's very interesting. It's, not, it's just not him. There's lots of other people. Um, one lady who loves mash, who thought she loved marshmallows, hates them now. <laughs> 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 so it's about, it's really like you start to become more discerning about food. Yeah. Very interesting, John. Your point about I'm a fast eater too. So that's like a, a, a compulsion to eat very quickly. Yeah. So. For example, uh, I worked with people who they had to eat very quickly because they're, you know, they're a household of I don't know, three siblings yeah. and they had to fight for food because yeah. it all disappeared. So they had this sort of anxiety they've got to eat very quickly. So now they're not living, they're not in competition with somebody else for food, but they still have that desire to eat very quickly yeah. or compulsion to eat very quickly. And for somebody else, it's about food, it's about love. So they weren't nurtured by their parents, but they, uh, the gram- they were nurtured by their grandparents and grandmother. So when they, food for them was associated with love. So who wants to turn down love? You want to have more and more and more and more and yeah, quite course, quickly, yeah. right? So that's yeah. the emotional association with food and love. So all of these things uh, uh, leads to wanting to consume yeah. quickly. So one of the practices of mindful eating is about like learning to live in the moment and learning to actually, when you're practicing mindful eating, you're learning to live well in life in general. So, you know... I sort of shared this with the ladies the other day, saying that actually mindful eating has helped me with my parenting. It's just being present. Yeah. Because we have a tendency in life where we're rushing through life. There's always a next thing. Happiness is around the corner. 
and you just want to kind of rush through and you almost feel like mindful eating feels like a very fluffy hippie thing to do i don't have time to slow down and savor mm. and mm. taste but actually you know if you think about it your life is just happening in the moment mm. you know it's so everything in the past is gone the future isn't uh, it doesn't exist so mm. when you start to slow down and savor you start to enjoy your food we also say, say to people learn to extract the pleasure so yeah. you're actually learning to enjoy food but also you learn to live well uh, yeah. and that's another part of emotional well-being is the slowing down and learning to re- respond to emotions rather than react to emotions yeah so it's almost like when you're tra- training in mindful eating slowing down you're learning to savor life yeah and live well and i think i suppose in the pandemic a lot of people have discovered that Mm. kind of you know through the isolation and restrictive travel and everything else and their whole environment and where they live people have come become more mindful of 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 their lives yes. and what they want to do for the future i suppose I would, I would imagine conversely even though people have probably binged eating eaten in in the pandemic there are people who have actually discovered yeah something positive about their eating habits too Definitely. I think it also, you know, like I think, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who, who's meditated, meditating for 20 years and I go on a lot of retreats and so on. And uh, there are things that you can never appreciate when you are living a rushed life. Yeah. You know, you, you know, where you, we can sort of like superficially live life, but we're missing a lot of depth. And that comes from slowing down mm. and savouring and so on. So um, mindful eating can be a profound spiritual practice yeah. if you want to take it that way. Yeah. And also just generally slowing down in life, which I think we all need to do a lot more of. And do you incorporate uh, any kind of spirit, spirituality in your uh, practice at the moment? In, in my work? Yes. It's, um, very interesting. So I'm a quite spiritual person, but I try not to... It's not an explicit part of my programme, mm. but I think it's an implicit part of my programme, which is... Okay, let me define spirituality. So spirituality, um, my definition of spirituality is about connecting beyond yourself. Okay, so rising above your ego, mm-hmm. you can call it that. So it doesn't have to have a particular label. It doesn't have to be associated with a particular religion. It's just a, uh, another aspect of spirituality for me is also about living meaningfully, finding purpose and intention and so on. That's a huge part of my program. So a lot of people might, um, emotionally eat because of feeling of, like a feeling of emotional void. Yeah. trying to fill an emotional void and they don't feel like they have a fulfilling life mm. so through a process of working with me hopefully i'll enable them to connect to some what is meaningful for them whatever that might be yeah uh, and that's a huge essential part of their healing so in that way i'll say there's a spiritual component to it although i might not explicitly express it in that way because mm. um, i don't want to alienate anyone who doesn't no. think they're spiritual and, and do you use techniques meditation techniques to help yeah yeah and how does that work yeah, I think from, um, there's a huge component of the program is about f- learning to find peace from yeah. within. And the core of the program is about learning to deal with painful feelings. So it's really about learning to deal with, deal with painful feelings without using food. Mm. Learning to dissolve painful feelings that get stuck in your body because you're stuffing it down with food. So that are the skills I use are from the mindfulness tradition for that. And also some, also a particular technique called havening, I don't know, you heard of Haven? No, yes. I've heard not. of it, you've heard yeah. of it, haven't you? Yeah. That uh, is a trauma-releasing technique. Do you just want to give us a, an example of what Havening is? Yeah, Havening is, I mean, it's a sensory, uh, it's like you're using your different parts of your mind, your visual centre, as well as a sensory experience of 
I would say mimicking an unconditional love of a mother uh, mm. to release trauma. So trauma is when we're traumatized, we feel trapped. We, uh, something has happened. That experience where you felt powerless and you get frozen in that moment. Mm. So this is a way of bringing that traumatic uh, event to mind, bringing those emotions up and then releasing those emotions. So it just becomes a memory. Yeah. And then it stops being an emotional trigger in the current moment. Because right. trauma is held in your mind. It's, yeah. You know, yeah. So it's about releasing that, rewriting your past, healing your past so that your past doesn't shape your future. Mm. So havening is a very powerful technique that you can use to do that. That's fascinating. Very mm. interesting. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, tra- we all suffer trauma through our lives. Yeah. And, and and it's fascinating to think of how much we each retain and still retain within ourselves. I mean, yeah. I know there's stuff in my past that, uh, that I still retain. Yes. I, I think of it consciously occasionally. Yes. And I'm wondering how, how that affects my whole life, but also mm. how food may affect it, because I've already discovered i think that maybe i have a difficult relationship with food myself yeah do you know what i mean so yeah so absolutely left me with lots of questions to 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 answer for myself you do individual one-to-one coaching as well chelvy don't you What, what um if someone was wanting to come to you for some coaching what would that look like for them yeah i think what i do with um one-to-one coaching, I offer people a free clarity call. So it's just a very no-strings-attached uh, space to just discuss what's going on for them mm. yeah. and for them to get to know me, to make sure that we are the right match because I, I might not be the right match for everyone. Sure. And they uh, maybe I'm not able to meet what they're looking for either. So it's just a very open space. And then we decide. So usually I have a program I work through, but in a one-to-one setting, it's very tailor-made. It's very unique. Yeah. Uh, it's very you have You can go very deep. Because you just, you, it's just you and that person. Okay. But there is that program. It's got a structure as well mm. within, that, within that, which is a very structured way of working through the issue, layer by layer by mm. layer. So that process is what's going to bring that healing and transformation. And the other aspect of it is, of course, that ability to, I think, just to be heard and to be supported by somebody who's been through a similar struggle and the non-judgmental aspects as well having someone who can relate to what you're dealing with because i've heard people say they've been to therapists and see you know other other sort of they've been to cbt therapists and other counselors and so on but there's something quite different about working with somebody who's gone through the same struggle yeah and Mm. so that can be quite profound Mm. and quite healing and that, I think that compassion, isn't it? That empathy that you don't, you're understood yeah. uh, because they've gone through the same issues and so on yeah. can be profoundly healing. Mm. Yeah. What's the perfect meal look like for Shelby? <laughs> if I was going to take you over dinner and you yeah. sit down and there's three yeah. course meal and you can choose what you like, what would that be, your relationship with food? Yeah, so I think, um, I think now, I, because I have a much more relaxed relationship with food, I probably c- can enjoy anything you would suggest yeah but my most favorite is thai food i love thai food yeah excellent yeah excellent i love thai food too <laughs> green curry green curry i was gonna say <laughs> absolutely yeah. chelvy you also do a six-week online course yes and i'm really i'm curious to understand what what we could expect from that yeah, that's, to enroll in it yeah so that's a coaching program six yep. weeks that's a full immersive six weeks it's a uh, it is really a quite a transformative experience. Um, the person who goes in, the person who comes out quite different. Yeah. Um, mm. 
and you know that's I'm not that's nothing to do with me it's just the the, the level of engagement and how what you put in it is what you get out of it but essentially the coaching program is is consists of daily support so it's very interesting a lot of the transformation happens in between the sessions so we have weekly two-hour sessions together yeah uh, mm. with a group of people who sign up for that particular batch and then you that the, the immersive experience comes from being in that whatsapp group and um i coach them through in real time so you know, we had so what, so what happened was when I f- was first working uh, a few months ago, I didn't have the WhatsApp group. Yeah, it was just a th- two-hour sessions and so on. But then by day four, people, you lose momentum. You forget what you're meant to be training in, or you have a binge and you feel stuck. And then you, mm. so some people did very well because they were in, fully engaged with the process. Some people fell behind, and that's what made me reflect on you know this is how effective is my program. And I thought, okay, I need to offer that daily support. Yes. And that's uh, the groups who've gone through that have had some incredible breakthroughs. Yeah, yeah, really. And they also they are so connected to each other as well. So, so there's a, a support structure there with each other. Has that been surprising to you then? Oh, it's been mind blowing for me. I feel very humble to witness that process. And do you think um, it's the daily? It's the daily thing that, yeah. that routine, that connection, and everything else. Yes, they don't disengage with anything. Yeah, I, th- I think you know, it's almost like you're held. You know, you're sort of like, you haven't got the opportunity to, to disengage. I mean, you can still disengage yeah. if you try very hard. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you've got all the conditions being given to you to be fully engaged with the process. Yeah. The process works. It's a, it's a system. It's a process works. And I facilitate that process. And a huge component of that is oh, it's connecting to other people. Yeah, And then... It's interesting. People will say stuff like, "You know, I was, I was, I was going to put this question out, and then somebody else expressed the same thing." So, it's almost like that's healing in itself. Mm. I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah. And and then you get, you know, from my my perspective, I coach them through that through that WhatsApp support. So I leave them voicemails. Say someone said I had a binge. This happened. I had a binge, and I talk them through that. What do you do now? Mm. You know, let go of the self judgment, all that kind. Of, so there's an immediate kind of in there's real time response. response. Yeah. 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 And they can shift them along uh, yeah. the path. So, Response and support. There's somebody there yeah. who can guide, isn't there, in, yes. a, in a positive way. Absolutely. And they feel like they've been, um, they're like they feel very protected and safe because mm. you have that kind of support structure. You're not left on your own. Yeah. And the other thing is, of course, they build very strong emotional bonds with each other. I was going to say, that is really crucial, isn't yeah. it? To feel that they're not the only one. Yes. I think. And, and if you feel that you're not the only one, then you've got that ability to share that problem. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like, um, I mean, that in itself is profoundly healing, just that, yeah. just that. Because, you know, there, there was one lady who, who no one knows she binge eats, not even her husband, that she wait for her husband to go out and, mm. you know, and so on. So, and she started within, within that six weeks, she started to talk about her binge eating with her colleagues, which she's never done before. And it's like all these amazing emotional shifts just by being mm. heard by other people in a similar yeah. situation. So that is quite powerful yeah quite powerful. so yeah it's a six-week program it's systematically laid out and i facilitate that and then we do a before and after and so on and the key thing is that having those insights that break people out of that cycle the main healing comes from shifting your sense of self that's mm. the, the core of it but there's lots of practical skills you learn like mindful eating hungerfulness yeah. scale dealing with painful emotions finding inner peace bringing more joy looking at your lifestyle mm. what's your lifestyle like is it supporting your personal development or is it dragging you down and so on so yeah 
And how's how's a full life going to develop uh, going into the future? What have you got planned? Yes, so I'm going to be filming an online course. Fantastic. <laughs> Great. When what can we expect idea. that? So I think, like, for me, I love to get this message out to the wider world. And I have limited capacity, really, because uh, even the groups I run, I, I have, like, a limit, a number mm. of people I can really support. And obviously, one-to-one also, I have a limit, so I have other responsibilities and so on. So I love to kind of get the... Um, the, the core kind of messages out to as many people as possible yeah. really so then um they have a way of sort of empowering themselves really and yeah. and will it be available on your website um i, I think I sh- yes i think it's going to be hosted on a uh, platform called mastermind which okay. is an american-based um online self-learning platform yeah it's spearheaded by tony robbins the top life coach so yes but also there'll be a link in my, in my uh, it should be a link, will be, when it's created. Right, my, well, we'll, we'll look forward to having you back to do another podcast yes. when, that's, uh, when that's launched, if oh, that's okay, Chelmy. Yeah, it's I'd love to. It's been so lovely to meet you. It has, Thank it's you. been wonderful, really, 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 great. really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you very much, um, likewise. I've learned an awful lot, I think, oh, about you, John. Absolutely learned a tremendous amount about it. food, Relationships and food, my relationship with food, and it's just been extraordinary, extraordinary conversations. Beautiful. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much. And if you have been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, you can reach Chelvy at www.full-life.co.uk. Her website has all the information on upcoming live events, public talks, as well as one-to-one coaching and group courses. Thanks very much, Chelvy. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. And you can also find Chelvy on Facebook. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash fulllife.co.uk. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please like, subscribe, and tell your friends. For further information, please visit us at www.needlefishgroup.co.uk